0: This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.
1: This episode of Real Estate is Your Business
0: is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Hi, my name is Naman Desai. I'm a co-founder at Quo. And what I love about real estate is that it's such an aspirational process that gives people an opportunity for new beginnings.
2: Traditional real estate agents use email, CRM, and text message to interact with their clients, which is often inefficient and disorganized. Coming up, you'll hear from a company that's looking to the future and creating an app to streamline these inefficiencies, putting all of that interaction in one place at your fingertips.
1: From New York City, you're listening to Real Estate is Your Business, powered by Preview, a smart online real estate brokerage providing expert advice without the high fees. With Thomas Kutzman and Scott Pollack.
2: Neman, thanks for joining us today. I... I've followed Quo's story uh, from the very early days, um, but currently you are a customer engagement tool that empowers brokers. Right.
0: Why is that important? Um, It's important in that it allows brokers to work much more closely with their clients. Um, A lot of what we do is based on efficiency. So it's not just engagement, but also efficiency. And so um, in the real estate space, when agents are always trying to find new leads, then the next step of the process is engagement. Um, and it's you know part of the process of engaging is giving your clients something that they can really hold on to that keeps them coming back to you. So what we have is an app that really allows agents and clients to communicate, to chat, um, and to sh- search and share listings all in one place. Um, it keeps clients from wandering off onto search sites and potentially engaging with other agents. And it also gives the clients a very neat, organized way to keep track of all the properties they're interested in, to, um, to schedule viewings, to take photos while on viewings, take personal notes or rate properties, so that later on, if they're sitting down with their roommate or husband or wife, they're able to um, you know, kind of recall all the properties they saw that day or last week and then really you know, have a much more streamlined process of looking back over what they've seen and um, making better decisions in a more efficient way. And so was the alternative to this
3: previous to Quo basically emails?
0: Yeah, for the most part it was done over email and text and if you're a um a client you'd keep track of the photos or your notes over text messages to, you know, your roommates or significant others.
3: Mm-hmm. It, it resonates because when I was looking for a house in the town I eventually did buy in, I remember there was one house that I really even though we've been there for 4 years and uh, there's one house I just wanted to like look up again and I can't find it. I have no idea what it was. I I was just curious about like some element of it from the listing from
0: years ago. Yeah. So oftentimes what we'll find is that obviously, you know, on the listing, you have your, you know, the the photos that are attached to the listing. They're done with, you know, great lighting, hopefully. Um, But most of the time when you're on the viewing, you want to take some of your own pictures about things that you specifically like about the house or want to, you know, remember. And um, this is an opportunity to kind of keep those pictures, those experiences organized so that later on, whether it's, you know, days later when you're recalling all the properties you've seen or years later when maybe you're building your own house and you want to remember what a unique, um, you know, staircase banister was. You'll kind of have that at you know at your you know on your at the palm of your hand, in the palm of your hand, um, in order to you know recall really quickly.
2: And this is for for sale properties as well as for rentals. So if an agent does both, uh, right. for both verticals, they can use the app.
0: Exactly. Yeah. When you um, when you add a client, it's super easy. And right right when you're adding a client, you can select whether they're a buyer or a renter. And um, we have listing data for both. And you had mentioned like if showing a you know a roommate
2: or a partner you know pictures and you know whether or not you like or share share things, um, can people that are co purchasing or co renting use the app together? together?
0: Yes. So it's built around the concept of group text. And so this is sort of that idea of being able to add, um, add a roommate to the conversation. So they're able to see all the text messages, messages. They're also able to take photos and notes themselves. You can actually compare within the app your ratings versus theirs, your notes versus theirs. And so it's really built as this collaborative platform, not just for one agent and one buyer, but for multi, you know, several buyers that are together. So whether it be a set of roommates or a, you know a father and son or husband and wife or what have you.
3: So whenever you're introducing kind of a new workflow to something that's had some legacy, like, for example, emails and texts is now being replaced by multiple parties having the app, there's usually some friction to kind of starting up or some drop off. People accidentally text their their broker uh, and forget to use the app. How do you kind of solve that?
0: So a couple of things. I guess to start with on the design side, what we did is we really took into account what people are actively using and mimicked some of it. So mimicked a lot of that organic subconscious behavior Um, for the most part in our app, a lot of the buttons look very similar to how things would work in iMessage or WhatsApp. So we've kind of reduced that learning curve. Um, in addition to that, and, you know, to your point about people kind of maybe accidentally winding up on text message again, we've kind of created as many, um, points of engagement and notifications to remind you that it's easier to do stuff within the app. So if you want to take pictures, it's easier to do it in the app. If you want to, um, you know, Share feedback about a listing it's easier to do it within the app and we kind of send those notifications at the right time so that it you know contextually it makes sense to you um, in addition there's just some natural efficiencies for using the app that you would say, oh well I didn't mean to send that outside of the app let me go back and just make sure it's also in the app um, because it then enables the f- you know future of the conversation or additional searches within the you know, within the app
2: and thus far, you know the brokers that are using it. You know how? What's the what's the reaction so far? Like how do they how do they feel about um, having everything in one place?
0: Yeah, it's been really positive. I think for um, for agents and brokers, the you know a couple of the main points of feedback that we get are um, first of all it helps keep their clients um, engaged with them um, from wandering off onto listing sites or other search sites. Um, so that's one of the um, primary points of feedback. They also really like that it gives them an app that they can put on their clients or in their clients' hands. Um, so from a branding perspective, um, it makes them a more tech-forward agent. Um, and so that kind of um, is more attractive to a lot of clients. Um, in addition, just from an efficiency standpoint, this takes a lot of um, you know more of the tedious emails that they might have been sending around scheduling viewings, it takes that off of their hands. So it actually simplifies their day-to-day workflow and speeds up some of these processes. For example, again, scheduling a viewing. Um, normally, you know, an hour may go by before you reach out to the listing agent to see if the property is available for viewing at a certain time. This does it automatically. And so in a fast paced real estate market, such as New York, in the event that, you know, someone else is going to go see that property, you kind of have kept up with your client's needs. As soon as they want to see it, you're able to get the viewing scheduled. um, And there's no time lag for that type of stuff.
2: So even if you're, if you're a broker, and let's say you're showing with a different client, That message to request a showing is still going out
0: via the broker. Exactly. It's via the broker. And um, every broker is different. And so they have the option to turn that kind of thing off. Um, And so there's a toggle within the app to turn off those automated emails. Um, Again, yeah, every broker is different. And so we don't want to step on their toes. We just give them the option to take advantage of this if it meets their needs.
3: And what are some of the results that that brokers are seeing? So you talked about deeper engagement, less churn, or kind of finding a new broker. But are you seeing some of those results?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that what we've seen is a lot of what we've actually gone out of our way to do is ask brokers to introduce us to their clients so we can get some feedback from them as well. We're very um, focused on getting broker and client feedback. And so in doing that, some of the results that we've seen and some of what the brokers have come back to us with themselves is that um, clients have found this to be an easier way to search than the other stuff that they were using, easier way to keep track of what they were using. So even when the uh, relationship for a buyer who wasn't looking for an immediate purchase kind of went cold. They were still searching within the app, and we actually have a functionality within our app where brokers can see what properties um, their clients are looking at. So they were able to kind of passively keep track of the search and then ping back in when something um, came to – rose to their attention that they thought would be appropriate for that client. So they're not um, bothering the client unduly, but also have the opportunity to really – Um, rejoin that conversation at the right time um, and start it back up when something that really is meaningful um, becomes available.
2: And and what really jumps uh, out at me about this is, one, it's a great broker productivity tool. It's a great customer engagement tool, better customer experience. But there's a lot of data and analytics that goes into it where if you're sending people emails, all you have is an open rate or a click-through rate on a link where this, you have m- much more feedback from the customer to, for then an agent to then go help them um, in that process or put m- even more technology around that to, over time. Right. But it seems like it's a great you know data and
0: analytics uh, platform as well. Yeah. So everything that happens within the app, we consider data. And so part of what we're working on right now is building out algorithms that will um, proactively suggest the right property to individuals based on what other, what other um, buyers such as them. Have uh, have liked before, and um, you know we take every point of engagement. And we also have opportunities to provide some data back to um, sellers and sellers agents as well, um, and so that's kind of a little bit of the game plan moving forward is really enabling the process to speed it up um, and provide more efficiency to agents to provide a faster process for clients using that data. Um,
2: and as and as far as uh, the markets you're in, uh, this is currently in New York, um, and. New York City or what What parts of the market? Right.
0: So we're in New York City, um, primarily focused on Brooklyn and Manhattan. And then we're also in Ohio. So we're in Cleveland, Ohio.
3: How did that come about?
0: So my co-founder and our CEO, Amit, is actually from Cleveland, and he has a pretty vast real estate network there. So when we started thinking about the future of Quo, um, certainly the New York's real estate market uh, mechanically works a little bit different than it does in other cities. And so we thought we'd take advantage of um, Amit having a real estate network there in order to kind of see how the mechanics of a Cleveland-type market work, as there's some similarities then to how Cleveland or Atlanta or Denver or Phoenix may work, and so that was just a, a very logical, easy way to start um, testing out Clo in markets that operate much differently than New York City. Kind of testing out a
3: first-tier and second-tier markets simultaneously, it,
0: precisely.
2: So, I mean but some could argue that Cleveland's also a pretty pretty good place too. Referring to New York as a second year market. <laughs> um, but as it relates to that, um because it it's it's a unique way to te- like pilot or test different styles of markets. What what have you discovered f- in those differences?
0: Um you know certainly from a uh, technology perspective, the listing data is drastically different. Um, both of the MLSs have different types of data um, because New York is a city that builds upwards as opposed to Cleveland, which to a large extent, suburban areas especially, builds outwards, um, which again it, you know, is you know, indicative of how a lot of other markets work. In terms of the actual um, agent interaction and client interactions within the app, we also started seeing that different technologies are used in different markets. So for example, in Cleveland, um, uh, agents generally tend to use something called CSS, which enables them to uh, schedule viewings right away. And so we've been working on integrating that so that we don't even need to use this automated email kind of from the back end to to support the scheduling functionality. You can actually do it in real time within the app and confirm the viewing for the client right away. So there's absolutely zero lag time. And so those are some different efficiencies that we've started seeing in different markets. New York also has some of its own efficiencies. Yeah, the funny part with with when you look at the New York market, trying to schedule
2: sometimes things for a client, I, I mean, I see even with our agents like, even if you can automate that process, it still can be problematic. So, I mean, if 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 New York ever discovers something like uh, Cleveland CSS, that would be a, a home run, and I'd, yeah, I'd love to see something like that come to New York. Yeah,
0: there's CSS and there's Showings Time, uh, Showings Time, and uh, they both do a great job of um, what they do. It hasn't um, yet become something that's common in New York, though.
2: And as far as you think about, you know, how how this rolls out, how you go to other markets over time. Um, does it seem like obviously the, it it's great customer engagement for any market but do you think it, this tool is more applicable to a vertical market versus a more suburban market
0: um i think the um the probably the characteristics of the markets that we'll initially try to um to go after are more that they're um highly transient a lot of new folks moving to town a lot of people buying new properties so markets where there is a lot of um you know, buyer and seller activity. Um, so, you know, when we've kind of looked at census data and stuff like that, we pinpointed certain markets that we think meet those criteria of really having a lot of volume being done. Um, with volume comes, you know, tra- you know, there's a lot of transactions, but a lot of things are moving on and off the market very quickly. And certainly an app like ours, that's built around engagement helps um agents and their buyers um not lose that opportunity to buy that next house um at the right time before it moves off the market.
2: Yeah, you 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 maintain that level of feedback and data even if even if those properties uh come off. Yeah. Um this is yeah this is interesting so far. Um usually we like to take a break for snack time though. So you've been kind enough to bring a snack for
0: us today to share. Yeah, uh, I've got some donuts from Cousins Dozens. Um, it's a, uh, d- a donut store in the Decap Market in Brooklyn, so our team works uh, pretty close to there, and um, it never hurts to have some pretty good mini donuts nearby, so I've got you guys some donuts. Some mini donuts, not a munchkin. Yeah, so these are, well, I guess well, they, they're no, they not donut holes like you would get at, um, or munchkins like you would get at Dunkin' Donuts. These are miniature donuts. These are just um, donuts for babies. So I think there's two types in there. One's glazed and one, I believe, is caramel. Wow. Here's Those some...
2: Is all oh, good? Thank Forks. you. Oh, cool. oh man. I'll definitely try one of those. This are smells... you an avid donut person? I love or? donuts.
0: Um but I've got pretty uh plain donut taste and that I still enjoy Dunkin' Donuts more than most everything
2: else. This this is like I'm a I'm a big fan of munchkin still. Yeah, the I really, like those. yeah the smell of this
3: is it's, like the state fair
0: or like the, the local fair Yeah, fried I mean, they're frying right it up outside. right in front of you, kinda. Of. They have a conveyor belt fryer. That's um, and then you could choose your flavors and they do everything right in front of you. So nothing is um nothing's been sitting out under a heat lamp at all.
3: And you're a donut aficionado you say? I like
0: donuts, yeah. But again, I, I, I have a pretty standard um taste, a set of taste in donuts, so crispy cream.
3: Nothing um, wrong with that.
0: Dunkin' um, yeah.
3: None of, you know, the you brought these Brooklyn donuts, but it's really a counterpoint to the true uh, I hate to say, pedestrian donut that we all grew up with. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I,
0: I still enjoy a lot of the uh, suburban delicacies such as chilies, Dunkin' Donuts.
3: Baby back ribs, barbecue sauce. Yeah.
0: Same. Nothing wrong
2: with that. Uh, coming up, we'll uh, talk a little bit more with Numen about where Quo's going and the journey uh, so far. We'll be right back.
3: Looking to buy a home in New York City? Get more with Preview's industry leading Smart Buyer Rebate. Seamlessly search listings on Preview's end to end buyer platform, purchase your home with the expert advice of a local agent, plus receive up to 2% cash back thanks to Preview's Smart Buyer Commission Rebate. Smart Buyers get more with Preview. Go to PreviewApp.com backslash buyer. That's previewapp.com backslash buyer. Hey
2: everybody, it's Tom. We enjoy bringing the show to you week after week, but we need your help. One of the best ways for listeners to discover the show are from your reviews. So let's make that happen. Go to iTunes, search Real Estate is Your Business, and leave us a review. And while you're at it, why not a five-star rating? Numan, I you were describing how Quo is not only a broker productivity tool, but also a customer engagement tool. But that wasn't
0: always the case. Uh, tell us a little bit about the journey uh, to where you arrived at the current product. Yeah, so um, Quo actually started out as a concierge service for um, renters as they were seeking new apartments. And so what we kind of did when we realized that we wanted to do something in the real estate space, Amit and I both have families with backgrounds in real estate, so we grew up with it. And we knew that this were, there, were, there were a variety of problems in real estate that we wanted to solve or find more, you know, more efficient solutions for. So to start out, we just did a lot of focus groups. And um, we spent a couple focus groups just um, listening to people talk about what was wrong with their last search. And it's not that hard to coax people into telling you what they didn't enjoy about their last search. And, you you know, you get a handful of um, responses and we were able to consolidate those into some common threads. But then we decided to do a focus group where we would have um, renters actually help us with what worked in their last search. And that's when things got interesting. So um, after we kind of got some peculiar looks at the beginning of that fo- those focus groups, um, people started really talking. And the one thing that we realized that was a very common thread was that um, the thing that helped them the most uh, throughout their searches was when they had a friend that would help them. And um, that might have been in the form of an email or going on viewings for them or taking pictures or providing advice or guidance. And um, one thing that Amit and I realized after that is that we've been casually doing this for our friends for years. So whenever friends would move to New York, um, I kind of had an email that I'd pre-written that I would just forward. And then I would add a couple of apartments here and there. Every time I had to resend it, I'd be like, oh, this is also a cool place. And, you know, it, it meets the needs of my friends and their friends. And um, Amit had been doing similar things as well. And so we thought to ourselves, well, this could be an interesting business model to provide a concierge uh, to a member um, who is looking for help with their apartment search. And so we put out an ad on um, AngelList to see if there were other people similar to Amit and I who, for whatever reason, enjoyed doing this and had kind of an eye on real estate passively. Um, and what we found was that there are a good number of people. So within a couple of days, we had a team launched in New York and in uh, Cleveland, ready to concierge for um, members of Quo. And so what they would do is get to know the um, these members. They kind of learn a little bit about their search budget, um, lifestyle, et cetera. And then they would um, email them with listings that they thought made sense. Whenever the member liked it, the concierge would act as a personal assistant, contact an agent or a broker, and set up the viewing for them. And then the, that relationship would progress um, however it may. Um, and as we were, you know, doing this, we also understood that this wasn't necessarily a totally scalable approach. And um, what we wanted to run was a technology company, not so much, a, you know, an operations company with a large, large team of concierges. So we started doing more focus groups. This time with our concierges and our members to understand from the concierges, you know, how we could make their tasks easier, and from our members, how we could make their interactions with the concierges easier. And um as a result of that focus group or those focus groups, um, we realized that a lot of what we wanted or what was suggested to us could be manifested through a mobile app that would drive faster response times, uh more organized communication, um, not these long, super convoluted email chains um that would drive, you know, use group messaging so that we um someone wouldn't accidentally hit reply instead of reply all and all of a sudden a roommate is left off, and then you have some surprises when they get reincluded. Um, and so we started the process of actually building out this mobile app that would meet all those needs for the concierges and our members. Um, and as we actually got the mobile app out there and we would be again, connecting members with agents to show these properties, um, agents started to get their eyes on the app. And so, you know, in week one, maybe like, you know, two or three agents kind of reached out to us and they're like, what do you guys do? This is an interesting app. Um, by, you know, the third or fourth week, we'd actually probably had at least a dozen or more um, inbound inquiries from agents, um, kind of saying, Hey, can we use your app? We don't want your concierges. We just want to be able to use this communication platform with our clients. Um, and we hadn't set up the back end to be able to handle that, but it certainly was capable of it. And we thought to ourselves, well, this could be a thing. And, you know, by, by then we'd also started seeing the operational burden of running a larger concierge team. We'd at some point had, I think a total of about 20 concierges. So things were getting a little hectic. So, um, we actually had an MBA program do a nationwide survey of about one or, you know 1,500 agents, and um, you know understanding what products they use, what they like, what they don't like, how they keep track of clients, how they communicate with them, um, what their uh, you know, desire for new technology is, um, if there's clear air for a product like this, or what the competitors are in the space, um, what their price sensitivity is around it, um, and we actually Amit and I then sat down with probably about 100 agents each face to face to ask similar questions, um, to show designs and mock-ups and get a better feel of what edits and adjustments we'd have to make to the pro- product to, to fit those needs if, if, in fact, we wanted to do that. Um, at the end of the day, we wound up sitting down, assessing all the feedback that we received, all the data that we were able to gather, and we realized that this is the company that we wanted to run um, that makes this product available for agents to collaborate with their clients. Um, you know, It allows us to really focus on technology, um, to really start building deeper and deeper technology that's more assistive, that um, really helps with engagement and efficiency for both the agents and the clients. Um, so and- you, were, you were reacting
2: essentially to there was a demand for this in the broker community, and the focus groups had already told you that this is how people wanted to interact, right. but it didn't exist. Correct. So, I mean, that, I mean, that's that's the best way to evolve is to to respond to that data.
3: Well, there's a lot said these days in the past, I don't know, five, 10 years in the kind of tech startup world of, of, of experimenting, pivoting when the data tells you something different than what the track you're on is. So did you kind of think of it in that way of we're kind of pivoting or, or did you think about it as we're just following a different course then, uh, but it's still kind of along the lines of the same thing? We, were
0: we tried to be pretty disciplined around understanding that it was a pivot, um, fundamentally changed the business uh, or the, the dynamics and the economics of our business. And our business model and revenues, um, and so we treated it that way. Um, you know, I've been I've been at another startup, and we'd also pivoted as well. And so we really had an understanding of you know let's not be so stuck on our idea that we refuse to listen to what our our clients are telling us or what our customers are telling us. And so you know we were very from the beginning before we even started building anything, we were very intent on listening to what you know agents would say, buyers would say, renters would say, and always factoring that into our decision making. Um and really letting your customers guide where you go. Um, we're not necessarily building, we're not necessarily building this for us to create, you know, for ourselves. We're building this for other people to use, and so it's their feedback that's the most valuable thing to us.
2: Now, when you're making that decision to pivot or whatever the new term for it uh, will be, but that has to be a difficult conversation as a founding team of like. Because you've been working, you know, long hours, months, you know, years on the focus groups, the ideas, you're building something, you have this team of concierges, and all of a sudden you're in this room, probably having this sort of multiple conversations over time saying, now what? And how do you get to that consensus where the teams on board agreed?
0: What is that interaction like? Yeah. So um I think between Amit and I, it was a very easy process. I think I'm very fortunate to, uh, to be working with Amit, we've basically never disagreed on a whole lot. Um, we've seen eye to eye. We find we have different ways of getting there, but um, we both gather and process data differently or information differently, but we always wind up generally in the same place. Um, and that allows us to really take my ideas and his ideas and meld them together in what we think makes the most sense. Our skills kind of align that way as well. Um, so for both of us, as we were gathering more data, as we were feeling the day-to-day strain of running an operations team, we both subconsciously started realizing that this has to kind of change in order for, in order for our company to be successful um in order for us to also individually be happy um and so we were always having those conversations we frequently going back to the idea we were never married to this this idea we were married to solving a problem um and so we would frequently have conversations of like are we too in the weeds let's let's reassess like what have we missed like what are we too married to that we can just like let, on this phone call we'll you know separate ourselves from an idea and rethink how we could do do something. And so that was probably once a week on Friday afternoons, we tended to have that conversation of like, okay, it's been a week or two since we've talked about this. What have we missed? Like, what are we a little too in the weeds about that? Like, let's just forget everything and review it as an outsider. And um, I think always having those kind of conversations to reset and distance ourselves from the emotions of the company um, helped us keep an eye on what, you know, what trends we were seeing that we otherwise might have wanted to ignore, but shouldn't have been ignoring. Um And then you know the decisions around uh, around the team as well I, there were some difficult conversations, certainly, as you know you have a team of concierges and you're moving to a different model. Some things um, have to change in that regard. Um, but our team was awesome. Our concierges were all phenomenal, phenomenal concierges. um they understood the vision um they got it. They were also seeing the feedback from clients about how the app was suddenly easier to use and um apart oh, they're seeing the feedback from members about how the app was easier to use. And they were also hearing the feedback from agents and brokers about how they wanted to be able to use a product like this on their own. And so I think for them, it also made sense. They understood it. So we gradually wound down operations um, with that concierge model as we were um, simultaneously doing the development work to uh, prepare ourselves for this SaaS model.
3: I mean, so when you have those conversations with your, your co-founders, great that you're aligned, your team, great Aligned, you're uh, aligned, it, it seems like though... It's harder than you might suggest for most people to kind of disassociate from the emotional attachment to the vision and also to have those conversations with other folks like, let's say, investors or or customers or or even members of the team, as you suggested you guys did, to make that change. How Did you find yourself, are you naturally inclined to be comfortable with those kinds of changes? Or did you find there's a process that you follow to kind of separate yourself?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think for Amit and I both, we have kind of Backgrounds that involve a lot of data, and so we don't always doubt the data. We'll go with our gut, but our gut is oftentimes to really listen to other people and what what they're saying, um, and what that data in aggregate tells us. Um, So I think you know, based on our individual natures, it just wasn't very much of an emotional process. It was just let's make sure we're doing the right things for our investors, for the opportunity to change something in real estate, and provide um, as much efficiency to as broad of an audience as possible. so, you know, everyone has second guesses. And so in the first week or two where we'd kind of set our dev team on the path of, you know, moving towards a SaaS model, you know, we would we even then we were still like doing focus groups, even though we'd started the process, we were double checking and triple checking to make sure that we didn't hear what we wanted to hear and we weren't ignoring what we should have been listening to. Um, and we would compare notes and hope that, you know, if I miss something, he would catch it and vice versa. Um, we, we were vetting it with our concierges to make sure that that's what they were hearing. Because, yeah, like, I mean, no, there's no guarantee that we were right. Um, So we continued to do focus groups even after we started the the dev process. Um, But I think by nature, we are just because we both had experience at previous startups. We both were very familiar with the idea of not being too married to the idea. we were both familiar with the idea of, you know, launch faster. Don't perfect something because you think it's the right thing. Just launch it, get feedback, see what people are saying. And then iterate, let people help you with your work instead of just focusing on coming up with the perfect idea all by yourself. And that's what the intention that we started out with was let people help us.
2: Now, as you've rolled it out and it's in the hands of of various brokers, what's the pushback you've gotten from brokers? Obviously, there's the clear benefits, but what's
0: the pushback? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the number one point of pushback that we generally will hear and it's something that we've listened to and tried to adjust for is how do I get my clients to download this app? There's a little bit of friction there, no doubt. Um, and so we've tried to create some um, educational email campaigns and made it as easy in, in the actual physical process of adding a client and make it very clear for the client what's the value out of using this app versus um, existing things like email or text. Um, certainly, it's not 100%. Um, and there's going to be clients who prefer to operate using email or text or face-to-face. And 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 you know, and that's part of life. Not everything is going to have 100% adoption, certainly not in real estate especially. Um, so that's definitely one point of pushback that we've seen. Um, I think, you know, as we sit down and we still do focus groups with agents, probably at least once every two weeks, if not once a week, I'll sit down with a couple, two, three agents and, um, and chat with them and try to start from scratch and make sure that, again, we're in the right place. Um, and so some of the, you know, the pushback we get there or the feedback we get there is really around, um, you know, small features and data and you know, can you show this type of stuff? Can you show that type of stuff? And sometimes, you know, we're constricted by the data in an MLS, and um, so we can we can only do so much sometimes. And you know, that's that's part of growing is that you can't buy it off more than you should you should, or you can't buy it off more than you can chew. So we try to be cognizant of that. Um, and then as far as the the agents that have been using it and their
2: with their different adoption rates, do you find there's a style of agent or that tends to have better success with with the app?
0: Yeah, I think definitely. Agents that are used to having their phone in their hand, um, agents that tend to have a number of apps installed on their phone, um, they're already using their device, their mobile phone, for productivity beyond just um, email and text. And so they they clearly see how this type of um, product fits into their day-to-day and so those are definitely the agents that we've kind of targeted off the bat. You want to find the agents that this makes the most sense for, um, the agents that can be advocates for the product and spread the word to other agents who maybe aren't or weren't as um, you know, familiar with using different mobile technologies for productivity. And so those are the agents with, that have been absolutely the easiest to work with. Um, and then as they help get the word out, they share their experiences with other agents. Then that process then becomes a little bit easier as well.
2: Yeah, because the the other tough part, and we we previously had a, a guest on that was focused on an you know, email productivity tool, um, or a new style of an e- a CRM for for real estate. And do you find that there's an issue with real estate agents being independent contractors that they're not required to use
0: you know one app or the other or? Or maybe that's to your advantage because they'll they'll get the benefit of right. it. Right, there's pros and cons to it. So certainly, as we've been dealing with, initially we started out dealing with individual agents, them being independent contractors. Actually, worked uh, in our favor. Um, they had the autonomy to make whatever decision they wanted for whichever products and they wanted to use to um, facilitate their careers. Um, and so for them, you know, it was just one person that needed to make the decisions themselves. Um, but then as we start talking with more and more teams and real estate firms then there becomes this question of um, adoption within the organization and any kind of cultural change that comes with it. Um, Certainly, I think the trend over the years in real estate has been that many tools that are provided by the organization aren't adopted at extremely high rates. And so we've tried to be very cognizant of that as we talk with firms and teams to build an app that really lends itself towards that adoption. Um, And also, a lot of what we do is actually selling into these smaller groups, whether it's individuals or teams, and then having that um, seed the actual enterprise sale. So, a little bit of that issue with adoption is already taken care of because there's already a a handful of users that are using it within the company.
2: Now, you mentioned earlier how if you had a co-purchase or a co-renter, you can both use the app together. How does it work for you know the, like when you talk about the rise of the the teams across all these organizations? Can the different team
0: the teammates with on the broker side? Yep, co-use the app. So just like you can have a couple different buyers that are working, you know, buying together, you can have a couple different agents that are handling something together or you can have a real estate assistant that they're they're working with, you know, so that, you know, if someone's out of town for a weekend, the client is always taken care of. There's always someone receptive, listening and ready to, you know, work with them. And so we've built it around that concept as well. Yeah, cuz it goes back to your original point of you when know,
2: when people send something and someone replies versus replies all. If if you have 10 people on an email chain or they're part of a team, it's kind of yeah. useless at that point if somebody doesn't get
0: replied to. Yeah, the team collaboration was a must-have. I think on you know day one when we started specking out this new version in the SaaS model, we knew that the team collaboration piece had to be there. Um, the number of times when we were in the concierge model that we would see someone reply and not reply all, and suddenly five or six people are no longer on the chain and the chain progresses two or three more messages and then things fall apart, it happened so many times that that was like an obvious must-have feature um, for for the agents to be able to work together and also for... The clients to be able to work together interesting
2: Um, this has been a great discussion so far of of Quo Uh, and when we come back we'll hear a little bit more about you uh, and some personal questions we'll be right
1: back Greetings Mouth Media Network listener My name is Davin Riley, and I'm willing to bet you like music. And even if my assumption is wrong, I still think you should come and check out our show, The Music Lover Podcast, where we sit down with entrepreneurs, pioneers, artists, and the unsung heroes of the music industry. Together, we'll uncover the insider perspectives on some of your favorite companies and artists as we analyze music business trends through a technological lens. Find us at The Music Lover Podcast, but remember... That's music lover without the vowels, M S C L V R. Yes, we're that cool. And since you're cool too, we should be friends. The Music Lover Podcast, we'll see you there. Keep up with the show on Instagram and Facebook at Real Estate Biz Show and with hashtag MouthMedia. Plus, check out all of the Mouth Media Network shows at mouthmedianetwork.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Now, we learned a
2: lot about Quo today, but we also like to learn a little bit about all of our guests as a person. And I'm going to pass it to Scott to kick things off. Uh, So you mentioned a couple times that you were with more than one started this pivot, Quo and before.
3: Maybe tell us a little bit about your, your whole journey, how you arrived at this kind of Zen-like state of being totally comfortable with uh, with changes in your business.
0: So yeah, before I was at Quo, I was at ClassPass. And um, I actually started as the first employee at ClassPass. And at the time, it was named ClassTivity. And so the pivot um, for ClassPass is actually embodied in the change of name. And um, very similarly, a lot of what triggered that pivot was, what was the based, pivot by the way. Um it went from being a uh, booking and reservation site where you'd be able to go online and see that there's a 430 class at such and such studio and you could book that particular class into a model where you're able to book or you're able to buy a package of classes and then um use those um, you know your one or two of your classes here and one or two of your classes there. Right. And so the ability to sell people multiple classes with the freedom to choose later where they used it. Turned out to be this really interesting consumer behavior that started off as a bit of an experiment and turned into um, a bit of the foundation of a of a new business model, um, but it was all you know based on really looking at the consumer behavior, gathering their feedback, understanding what they were doing, why they were doing it, and listening to that and um, accommodating for it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot more sense why you're so you were so focused focused on focus groups. Uh, no pun intended. Um,
3: I think you meant that pun. I'm, I probably meant that, a yeah. tainted, but a valid lie, pun. but don't lie to us.
2: I'm curious. So you would mentioned, you know, you and Amit both had you know families that were in real estate. Um, do you think that's something that just like learned behavior, and it's just it's ingrained, and in you were more knowledgeable about it, or does it feel like it's just like in the blood? What what, what do you think drove that desire towards real estate?
0: I I, I think like growing up, we saw you know, our parents involved in the business, and you kind of start seeing inefficiencies. And as we got more and more used to using technology and creating efficiencies in so many other ways, um, you know, we understood a little bit of the underlying emotion that is involved in real estate. So Amit's family was primarily um, on the buyer side. And then my mom was a real estate agent or broker. And so she was, you know, really, uh, you know, the on the agent side. And so I certainly got to see what it was like, I was in the back of the car driving to open houses. And, Um, you know, once in a while she'd take me on showings and stuff like that. I would be in the office when she was putting together, um, you know, listing presentations and I would help her with MLS searches. And so you start to see the emotion of the business and some of the underlying stuff that's being done. Um, and certainly since I was a kid to now, the, the, the industry has evolved, but some of the underlying, you know, fundamentals of it are still the same. It's very much a people business, a relationship business. And, um, you know, to be able to take those ideas around, um, you know, People and relationships, and integrate technology into them to make those relationships stronger and to make those people more efficient, is sort of what you know we kind of were you know, collectively able to do with his experiences and mine, and then the benefit of focus groups and what people, um, you know, were telling us were problematic and helpful for them. And
2: what was that home real estate market that you were in? Uh, was was it New
0: York, Cleveland? I grew up in Tallahassee, Florida, and then Amit grew up in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. So you know, drastically different cities of different sizes. But, you know, growing up around the same time, you kind of, you know, the transactions looked the same or, you know, they, the fundamentally the processes were about the same. Um, and the experience and the time it took to do certain things were about the same.
3: And you started out, if I recall correctly, in finance, right? And I'm curious how you got from there to where you are now and how you met your co-founder.
0: Yeah, so I actually had a bit of a long road. I, after graduating college in Florida, I moved to California. I was a uh, strategy analyst for a government weapons lab and then i that's how you become a superhero by the way i know well it didn't work out that way for me um so i'm not iron man unfortunately um but after that i want to move back to east coast so i got into consulting um similarly amit was in consulting as well um we were at different firms but doing somewhat somewhat the same stuff um we got to know each other through mutual friends so we were at a bar watching i think the world cup in 2006 i believe and um, we started talking about technology and we both had a little bit of a passion for it. And so we, we just kept in touch just to, you know, chit chat about technology. And um, as, as I kind of was leaving consulting, I worked at Deutsche Bank for a while. And um, I was, you know, my patience was wearing thin in that space. And so I actually noticed that a friend was looking for some help at their startup and it turned out to be ClassPass. So um, I just kind of had been working for 10 or 11 years and wanted a change and I was ready for a change and thought I could take a chance. I still was, you know, single, no children, so can afford a little bit of risk in life and was fortunate to be able to do that.
2: As it relates to taking that risk, obviously going from, you know, being frustrated with finance or consulting and then leaving, um, you know, you very fortunate, um, to be part of a very successful startup, but a lot of people make that transition, um, and maybe go through multiple entrepreneurial steps Um, why, why do you think people are growing so frustrated with, you know, traditional to even attempt the entrepreneurial track?
0: Um, I mean, I think for every individual, there's probably, uh, different reasons, but I think overall, um, certainly when I was in college, you know, I graduated in 01. Um, not a lot of people thought to themselves, oh, I'm going to graduate and start my own company. It was very much trained to say, oh, I'm going to graduate. And here's a list of, you know, five or 10, you know, big name companies that would be awesome to work at. and that was kind of the mindset we had growing up in Florida. There was a lot of um, R and D in the uh, defense space. There's consulting. There's some finance. There's obviously the hospitality space. And so you thought, oh, well, I'm going to graduate, and I'm, if I'm an engineer, I may go work at you know Harris. If I'm a consultant, I'll go work at. Or if I want to be a consultant, I'll go work at PwC. I don't remember anyone in college thinking to themselves, oh, I'm going to go start my own you know technology company. Um, certainly now um, you know technology and the ability to create with your hands at a keyboard. Has democratized the ability to create your for yourself to create your own company. Um, I think in addition to that, you know, as you know, I, I would conjecture, I'd hypothesize that as as folks see startups be more and more successful, um, there's obviously more and more of a you know desire to be involved in them as they see the work life balance or startup type culture um, and the cool office spaces. Um, you know, there's a little bit more of a, you know, a desire to be in them. There's as you see more of an ability to work on things that you're truly passionate about, as opposed to simply working um, because it offers you a great paycheck, it becomes more of an, you know, an available opportunity. And so those are probably a few of the reasons. Um, For me, I also, you know, really like kind of being self-directed. And there's, it's
2: probably another thing too, is like, there's, there's a, I think, a bigger fear of missing out uh of people generally um nowadays. I don't know if it's driven by like social media, Instagram, like they see every what everybody else is doing. Um so I think, you know, if you were in a traditional track, there's a what am I missing over here yeah. mindset nowadays. I,
0: I think that, you know, you see some of your friends succeeding in the startup world. Um I know certainly within my group of friends in New York, um, you know, three or four of them or more have successful startups that have done quite well so far. Um, and so, you know, you start thinking to yourself, well, I've had ideas, I've had passions, and it starts to become a more realistic idea. Um, certainly, you know, I have friends that will come to me from time to time and sit down with the business idea and we hash it out or work on a deck. And, you know, you know, I kind of encourage people if you have the ability without, you know, unduly risking your savings or, you know, well-being, if you have, if you have an idea and you've vetted it and you've been thoughtful about it, you know, if, and if you have the, you know, personality to handle some of that stress, um, give it a try
2: yeah some people are more risk loving than uh, than right. others yeah we like to give all of our guests the opportunity to leave us with a final thought, and usually it's you know it could be about the biz- your business could it be about your outlook on things uh the company life
0: um, What would you like to share with the audience? life is really all about finding your passion and um, a lot of people think that oh if I follow my passion I won't be able to get paid um, or I won't be able to earn what I think I want to earn. Um, I kind of disagree. I think that if you find your passion and you really pour yourself into it and if you're smart about it um, and you have some patience, there's the opportunity to make more than you would ever make in any other profession um, by following your passion and um, you know doing what you think is right and so that's kind of been a bit of our guiding star in this is that you know we really enjoy what we do um, to us you know going to work, doesn't feel like going to work, like staying at home if you're sick feels really terrible, actually, because you have FOMO about going to the office. And that was a feeling that I'd never had um, in all my jobs of consulting and banking or whatever. And so I think that if you're able to feel that, and you're able to really then enjoy it, um, you put in the time, you put in the energy, um, and you don't feel like you're working, and it leads to more success than you may have had doing something that you know you're good at, but you didn't necessarily love passionately.
2: And for... The folks that want to be able to reach out and connect with you and the brand, how can people reach you?
0: Uh, sure. So you can uh, reach out to to Quo um, on any of our social media. The uh, handle on everything Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter is at FindQuo. And for me individually, uh, if you want to reach out, you can reach out to me via LinkedIn. Uh, my first name is Numan, N A M A N, and the last name is Desai, D E S A I.
2: Numan, thank you so much for being with us today um, and for all those listening thanks uh, as always for listening and for Scott Bye, everyone I'm Tom and
1: real estate is your business You've been listening to real estate is your business to suggest guests or content for this show, or to become a sponsor, email us at real estate biz show at mouth Keep up with the show on social media at real estate biz show. That's real estate B I Z show episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher and Google play along with our website, real estate is your produced by mouth media network and brought to you by preview copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening.
0: This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.